Good morning. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul, Angeline, and today we're talking about the GM or DM shortage. There's a shortage? Well, maybe there is, and maybe there isn't. I don't go with there isn't. Okay. So I guess this stems from an article in Hellgate. Is it a town? Is are we have we wandered into dark conspiracy land? <laughs> no, Hellgate is a is a uh, subscriber local online paper or I don't know what you call it magazine, but it's Design. based. It's based in New York City. Okay, Hellgate would be a good name for a town in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I'm just saying. Uh, maybe Buffy the Vampire Slayer, based in New York. Mm-mm. No. No. <laughs> So the article came out and it said there's a GM shortage in New York. I mean, a DM shortage in New York. And I hadn't really thought about the differences between GM and DM. You know, I play a lot of role-playing games. I've been playing a lot of role-playing games for a long time. And the difference is a GM is a game master and a DM is a dungeon master. I know that. Yes, I know that. But what 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 I was thinking is, is when they said GM, a lot of people use DM even if it's not Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah, I know. Right. I do. I interchange them. I also sometimes slip and say other things, like referee. Right. And, you know, I've been playing for a long time. I've, I've said that many times on this podcast. You know, I've been playing since I was a little kid. And I can't remember the first game I GM'd, or I should say DM'd, because it was probably D&D. And it was probably AD&D. That's the way I, way back. So... You read this article. I find it interesting that anyone would say there is a, a shortage of people to run games because if you're in a group, wouldn't if you don't want to run it, wouldn't someone else do it? Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, I, I, the hesitation is I was I wanted to talk about like my past, right? When I when I was when I came growing up and I got exposed to D and D, it was Felipe. Felipe brought the game home, and I I begged him to play. I begged him to play, and he brought copies of it home because we didn't have a hobby shop in my town or anywhere near us and so he was the de facto gm because he was the older one i mean i was only 11 when we started playing so he was the gm because he had experience and he gm for a while and i don't like i said i don't remember when i started dming it was probably the ad but it could have been gamma world and it could have been space opera but i'm pretty sure it was still D because but you were a teenager yeah, I was probably, I don't, like, I honestly, I don't even remember what game or what adventure I ran first. Did you run it for Felipe? Or? Oh, yeah. Okay. Felipe, Esteban, and Sip. Definitely. The, the four of us playing was the, was the core of our group that we played all the time. It wasn't until much later till I went to junior high, well, two or three years later. Well, I don't know. I guess two or three years later. If I, you were 11, wouldn't you have already been in junior high? No, we had junior high. We went to junior high in seventh and eighth grade. Okay. But sure. weren't you 11 in seventh grade? No, in seventh grade? I was in fifth grade, I believe. In, no, I don't know. No way. I was in sixth grade at 11? I don't know how old I was or what grade I was. Wow, you're, you're a viejito. <laughs> well, <laughs> anyway, so, so there wasn't a GM shortage with us because we just played and I was really interested in, in running after a while, and so was Sip a little bit more, and Esteban, I don't think, ever ran a game. But we definitely traded responsibilities after a while, like running different games or different adventures. Like, remember, we bought, we intentionally b- bought against the Giants 
which is remember the the different hill giant, frost giant, fire giant adventures, and each of us was going to run run a section of it, and I think it worked out pretty good. But course, Felipe didn't feel like there was a, a DM shortage because it was a new game, and as I recall, he went and played with other people. Right, and he actually, I remember him going to Monterey and playing. Because you said that he took you, begged him to take you. Right, and it was terrible. I didn't want to go there. Yeah, like the collar. Yeah, it was terrible. It was was like, yeah, it was really bad. I think, I don't know what episode I talked about that in. But anyway, so there's that. And in our group, we didn't have a shortage. We We just played, and naturally somebody would run the game, and and a lot of times what happened with me is I was very interested in Star Wars. Star Wars came out in 1977. So I was, we, everybody was really into Star Wars, and I wanted to play a space game. Now, I didn't know why I didn't go into Star Wars, but maybe it didn't come out till a bit later. But I found Space Opera in 1981, and that was probably the first game that I, me and uh, Felipe read, made characters for, and I basically started running but I was already a teenager. I was probably about 13 or 14 by that time. Yeah. And and I've, you know, GM'd a lot since then. And I've continued to GM. And I GM'd more and more and more until even now I GM quite a bit for the, for the family and then for friends and then uh, for the groups that I'm in. But I can understand why people think there's a GM shortage because, like, for me, I'm thinking like there's GMs. GMs are a little bit tougher job than than playing, so a lot of people really don't like the GM, right? I think you haven't talked about the article that you sh- told me about yet, but right? The guy was talking specifically about was it D and D? It was yeah. Then he was D&D talking fifth edition. D and D fifth edition in so, so in New York City. I think you should preface your 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 comments about the DM shortage as from that article, it was talking about how at that, at that game store or wherever Hex and it company. was, yes. Hex and company, they started, he started playing games at the store to bring in business. Right. Right. And then I believe he worked for the game store or whatever it is, like or a pub owned it or was part yeah, of it. Right. But the thing was that so many people all of a sudden wanted to play and I think that has a lot to do with the fact of, of actual plays and, and things that D&D became a very popular game. Right. After, what I forget the name of, what's the actual play that people watch? Critical Role. Critical Role. Sorry. Right. I had a moment. Um, <laughs> well, there's a quite a few other ones and they're all quite popular, but obviously Critical Role is the most popular one there is. The, I, I was watching a actual play, a Call of Cthulhu actual oh, play. Oh, okay. And I thought it was very cool. I was I was all by myself on a Friday at work. There was and it was rainy, and I was like, okay, I got to put something on. So because I'm so in a big put some building, scary thing. I put, I'm in a bu- big building all by myself. So I put on this Call of Cthulhu uh, actual play, and it was hilarious. Oh, it's funny. Hilar- Good. No, it was it was scary. Okay. It was hilarious to me because because I was enjoying watching and because I I was I was working on spreadsheets so i was watching it and working on my spreadsheet right and the noise helps me to to concentrate right but i had to i kept stopping because i was very interested in it and didn't matter because it was a friday afternoon and no one was around right but i can see the appeal of watching it 
and it was it was very professionally made, right? Like right, high production, right? Yeah, yeah. With lots of cameras and stuff, and right. I have watched actual plays where there's just one just camera, one camera, or they're all online, right? So it's oh, yeah. just a Zoom meeting kind right. of of thing. And they're eating chips and stuff. <laughs> yeah, but I, that, that's cool too because that makes it more like a, a uh, just going to someone's house to play, right? I, I only I only mentioned that because I guess uh, what was it? There's another podcast that I listen to called The Effect Podcast, and there's these two British guys from English guys from England, and they put up they put up they put an actual. I play, apologize for my husband. And they decided to do an actual play, and they they call it what do they call potato chips over there? Crisps. Crisps. And I guess they didn't realize that eating crisps would make such a large noise on the microphones. So all you hear is, you know, as they're trying to talk. And then, and then, like, when they, after they were done, they listened to it and, like, oh my God, all we hear is the <laughs> crunchy to crisp. One of the things they learned is don't eat crisps while you're doing an actual play. If you work with microphones, I'm not allowed to do anything with a microphone other than talking to it. They do pick up a lot of stuff. And, and at that, that crunching thing, they probably just really, is really picked up really well. Anyway, so you're right. Actual, there's all kinds of reasons why I think D&D 5th Edition has really ballooned. Uh, one is the, the pandemic, because people could play by themselves or with their family. There is actual plays. But it was even big before the pandemic. I think it was starting to get really popular because in popular culture, it was used, right? It was used in what the Big Bang Theory and and all these other Stranger Things. Stranger Things was a big deal. And even even in some other shows that I never really paid attention, like, what is it? I think I saw it on like NCIS or New Orleans. Somebody started talking about their D&D character. I'm like, what the Regular NCIS too. And then also... um I forgot. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. And it was just really weird because like they have those shows repeating or on syndication during the day because I get home early from work and it's on, it's just on like noise. And then I'm like, I saw, I heard that reference to the D&D character and they're like, oh, what were you doing? Well, you know, I was just hanging out with some, oh no, we're friends. It wasn't us. Right. And all this stuff. He goes, okay, I was at a D&D game. And then I'm like, what the heck? And I just, and so all these little, you know, all these little, I think mentions in popular television shows or even not really popular television shows just being mentioned kind of reminds people about D&D and like oh yeah I remember that for older people and for new people they're going what is this D&D they mentioned and then when you when you really hit a lot with like Big Bang Theory because they're like playing they're always mentioning it they're playing it supposedly well, I think and then Critical Role and then Critical Role like yeah I think it was, it was a because well, if you have any 19-year-olds, you know that, that or any younger, or maybe older, I don't know, most of the stuff that they listen to, and it comes off of either YouTube or some streaming service. Right. Like, Augustine watches TV and all kinds of shows with his other friends, and they all stream. They always ask, he always asks me for my Xfinity password, and his friends do the same thing, right? Whatever they their parents have at the house, and then they watch it together on on Discord with each other. They share someone shares their screen and they watch it. Right. You're right. Exactly. That's kind of weird. I mean, I I I have it's noticed It's different that. from from when we were kids oh, yeah. running to running to the bathroom during a commercial cuz you didn't want to miss your show cuz you knew it wouldn't come on until a rerun in the summertime, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's coming on. Everybody running back. Well, that's the whole that's just if you were an 80s kid, 70s, 80s 
maybe even early 90s. 90s, definitely 90s too. Yeah. So the fact that if somebody watched and saw, oh, this is pretty cool. They saw Critical Role or something. This is pretty cool. I want to try this game, right? Then them and their friends. And I think that's what happened, especially because it was because they went from because they were playing Pathfinder on there and then they went to fifth edition when it came out. Right. Yeah, I think they were in a transition period when D&D came out and they were. I don't. I think they were. Yeah, they were playing Pathfinder, and they had just switched over to Fifth Edition because they they had been playing on the by themselves for a long time. Yeah. Right. And and then somebody just said, "Well, let's film you guys doing this because it's kind of entertaining." Either they came up with that idea, or somebody go, was like sitting at their house going, "Hey, you guys are pretty funny," or "You guys, that's pretty interesting," because it was in the middle of their campaign when they started right dreaming. I mean, they introduced the characters and all that, but they were pretty much in the beginning of the campaign. So when when that was became popular, and right. the way, you know the way that young people get watch their watch their stuff, right? I think that made the popularity of it grow, and also it also could have caused. I haven't really watched Critical Role in all transparency, um, but <laughs> I assume, and from what people have told me and what I've read, that. That means that a lot of the people who are new to D&D 5th edition, the kid, I'm going to call them kids because I might be older. Younger now. generation. The people between 15 and 30, probably when they got the book, they go out, they buy the book and they go, I want someone to run this for me the way that Matt Mercer does, right? Because right. that's the only DM they've seen. Correct. And, and the, whole, uh, the whole way they all interact with each other. They're very... I don't know what you Which call might it. be a Dramatic. disappointment when you go to play a role playing game and it's not exactly like that, right? It is in the way that there's a there's a DM, there's other players, you're sitting at a table, but it's not going to come across the same way as critical role, right? Cuz it's right. real life. I don't know how much they edit. So I think they edit quite a bit. I think there's a lot of there's definitely high production value. I mean, at the very beginning there were a bunch of people sitting around a, a te- not a desk, but these tables with microphones, right? Right. And then now it's like a studio, right? They each have their own microphone. They almost each have their own camera, so they can pan from one camera to another. Oh, then there is a lot of editing. Yeah, so there has to be a lot of editing. I think they do do it live, though. So there's somebody there. Does they have a, a director or producer? Who, Someone moving the going from one camera, one camera to, to the, the next, right? Yeah. And I think there was this comment about. Critical Role and people who were attracted to D&D because of Critical Role and they call it the Matt Mercer effect, right? That they wanted the GM, they wanted to be in a game where the GM, in this case DM, was like Matt Mercer who did all these voices and was very uh, dramatic I guess is another word for it and not all GMs have that have that ability. Or not necessarily the ability. They don't all run the games the same way, right? They don't all do special voices for the NPCs. Right. They don't all... They're One, they're not voice actors, so they don't come across booming when they want to and really quiet right. when they want to. And they, yeah, exactly. And then some people don't play that way, right? If you go to, a, uh, let's say, a, either a con- gaming convention, which probably not the first event that you go to, probably go to a game store that hosts games there you'll see people who will talk in the third person. Okay, my character is going to do this. Instead of saying, well, Elgin the Great is going to, you know, that's in the third person. They won't say I. I'm going to go over there and give that guy a good talking to. And then that that's even 
sort of third person. You just, I'm going to go over there and tell them, and I'm going to say this to them, right? And then there's different ways of playing. So when you watch Critical Role and these guys are really into their character, in their character, right? Because they're actors. Yeah. They're going to stay in character for the most of the time. And they're really flamboyant or over the top, the, all these characters. So when you go to a game table, a normal game table where just normal people, it might look seem a little boring to you because people are, may not be talking in a special voice. They might not be talking in the, in the first person. And, and then the GM might not have that kind of flair that Matt Mercer has. Well, even, even then in that article, the guy was saying that they didn't have enough GMs to run the games for people because um, too many people wanted to play. So even if you show up and it's not the same <laughs> as, as a critical role game, right? They still right. want to play because they want to learn it and stuff. Yeah. And I believe the store wanted to sell books. Well, no, they, they actually charge you for playing. That's how they made money. So that's why they call them professional GMs. And that's why that one guy was like, I kind of did it like a side gig. You know, I was just, I know he had a re regular job, whatever that job was. And then he, he started making, I guess, decent money doing this kind of stuff. Like wow. they, they have, I, I just looked on their, on their website, uh, the Hexing Company, and they charge between $20 to $60 an hour per person. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I don't even know what to say about that. And they have different things. They you know they have the, the the one shot, and where you where you're all part of a group, but you're not like one group. It's not custom made. And then they have a long campaign, and then you so have this the is private specifically game. professional GMs. I guess I, I thought it was a game store, and it looks like it's a game store. I mean, it looks like it was a place to play, but it's actually it. it it seems to me that, so part of the, part of the, I'm not even going to go into that. I'm not sure you could make a lot of money being a professional GM. And I don't even know because I've never played with a professional GM. I mean, I've played with a lot of GMs that are really good and have, play a lot, but I don't know that they charge people to play with them. So and I believe that would be what professional would mean, right? Right. Correct. Well, you do know one, Becky. Yes, but hers is, it's more like a, a service, right? She, I know, and she, and she doesn't get paid, but she's actually teaching kids to. Oh, she stopped teaching kids. Yeah, well, she stopped doing yeah, kids. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so I mean, it's rare. I think it's rare okay, in the so West. I do know one. Yeah, where it's rare in the West Coast. I think New York, you because of the, because of the amount of people in the small space, I think it's like critical mass, right? You know, there's a lot of people. And if if enough, if enough percentage of those people want to play, and they can't find a GM, and this and you can find what is it a, a place where a place where you can go play, and that offer you a service for GMing or DMing in this case, I can see why there would be a shortage because you have a lot of people who have this idea that they want to play D and D, and they may not even know that there's a, other games out there, right? Like I ran I ran Alien at a convention, and Two people had never run, had never played anything else, and almost didn't even know about anything else. I go, "Why did you sign up for my game?" He goes, "Well, we just thought it was interesting." I'm like, "You didn't know it was a role playing game?" He goes, "No, I had no idea." They even took a picture of the book. I'm like, "You guys ever been in a game store?" <laughs> I was really surprised. And then the other time I ran, I ran Tales from the Loop. All they had played was Pathfinder Society. Wow. So. So there is people out there who, oh, I'm going to play D&D. D&D is the game I want to play. And then they will go, that's all they want to play, mainly because that's what they see. And maybe they don't know that there's other games available. 
And then I got tunnel vision that, that D&D is the only role-playing game out there. And I think when I went the Reddit rabbit hole on this question, it was really interesting because people were, were arguing that there wasn't a GM, DM shortage. There was a, you know, because like, like us, when we started out, we were a group of people. One of us just ran the game. That's all there was to it. What the argument on Reddit was is that there's groups of people who have never played before and want to play D&D, and they didn't want somebody to run D&D for them. And I actually find that kind of true because when I go to the, I went to the Reddit, I want to, you know, for looking for a game mm-hmm. type thread, there was like quite a few, uh, what is it? Requests. Requests, yeah, requests for DM. We want to do, we were looking for a DM for our group. And like they already had the characters made. And that's kind of weird because... Okay, I'm just going to say that if you already have your characters made, one of you should be the DM. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, why go out and may, and look for someone to run the game that you don't know when you have people around you that you know? I think they all just want to play. Well, okay, whatever. <laughs> so, you know, Reddit's not always nice to people, right? And so there was other people going, these people are just lazy, right? That's, well, um, I'm sorry. I don't think they're lazy, but I think they should step up and... And, uh, and one of them said, there is no GM shortage, DM shortage. <laughs> what there is is a lack of, well, they said there's a lack of DMs, GMs who want to run D&D because D&D is too hard to run as a GM. Okay, I, I disagree with that right. also. Yeah. Uh, and then they said that uh, the high expectation of these new players from DMs, right? They they always have these wacko characters that are, you know, very distinct. You know, they, they want to stand out. Yes. So, but along with that standing out, they're pulling stuff from all these different sources, right? They're pulling uh, from every book possibly of a manageable before they even talk to the GM or the DM in this case about what is allowed and what isn't allowed. Like one guy said, I'm willing to run a game. I said, I put out, I'm willing to run a D&D game, but only from the player's handbook. Nothing else. No Xanthor's Guide, no Mordecai's. And he goes, and I, all I wanted was two to three more players and nobody responded because that's not what they want. They, they, they want to play these to him, he said, outlandish characters that have all these special abilities and all these different things that they, that are at their disposal. And I think that's what the main point of that guy was, is that there's not a DM so- shortage. There is a DM shortage of people who are willing to cater to these groups that just want uh, someone to DM for them and, and, not, and not take up the mantle themselves. So I think that that's kind of interesting take. I think you're right. I think when people, let's say you got a group of friends together, they all want to play, right? And I can understand that. And yeah. I and, and and in fact, that happens too when you go to conventions. Like a whole group of people will want to play in a game together. Well, Remember when that, we, that's that's going to be hard because sometimes you can't all get into the same game. Well, the way the way the games work, conventions work here in the Bay Area. They put you through a shuffler of some kind, right? They, I know in other places you pay to yeah, play each game. Each game, yeah. Here it's free. Once you pay for the convention, they, 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 you, you get your name, you know, you get a, a number. And then when you sign up for games, especially role-playing games, there, and there's only a certain amount of slots, what they do is they put you through a shuffler. They randomly pick the names. And then there's some sort of weight system while 
As you get into games, your number weighs anyway, less. Anyway. So you're less likely to get picked for another event. But it does happen, and things people get upset that they don't get into the games that they want. And the word is anyway. And anyway, so the chances of you as a group getting into a game together is kind of not very likely in the Bay Area. But in other places, there's just like sign-up sheets, right? You just sign right. up your name. Whoever gets there first gets to, gets to get in the game. There is you know, a, a, another smaller convention here that does that. And so if you all sign up for the game, do you all get into it? Like that's what happened in Tales from the Loop game when I ran it at Pacificon. The, the whole family showed up, right? Mm-hmm. And their friends. Yeah. And Steve. <laughs> so, I don't know. There's all kinds of factors that make D&D really popular right now. And I think people just want to play D&D. And possibly there's not enough DMs, Dungeon Masters, for D&D 5th Edition. And I think because a lot of these players are new and have no concept of how the game is run and stuff, they just know about it or they've seen Matt Mercer or they've seen it on Big Bang and they have a vague idea of what it's like and they think it's interesting and they and because they all want to experience that together, I can see a group of five, six people going somewhere and wanting to play a game together. So here's my suggestion okay, for, for these five or six people. I think that you should know that the dungeon master doesn't have to know all the rules. He should have a good he should read the rules, but all the other people in the group can also read the rules. And you don't, the first rule of playing games, or the rule zero, if you want to call it, is that you can change the rules to fit your group. Right. So I think that's the most important thing for people to know. If there's a rule that, that that's why there's homebrews and people do different things, because they didn't like that rule. So I think that it's important for everybody to realize that the the dm doesn't have to know every single rule common sense is a good thing to know right your player wants to do something (laughs) and everybody at the table is going i don't think you're going to be able to do that right so the gm is basically adjudicating or saying well okay uh i'll let you do that but this is going to happen right right so so that's that's one of the things that I think is very that people think the DM has to know everything, right? Right. In, in fact, that came up in Reddit. Somebody says, "Well, one of the things the GM has to know is all the rules forwards and backwards." And I'm like, "Do you know how how many freaking pages some of these books are?" Well, they were talking about D and D, but even D and D is a pretty thick book. Right. And then the idea that the the GM has to have the story all set out. And the players have to do certain things. Well, that's called railroading, and that's probably not what people really want to do. The GM needs to give you a scenario or a a hook. There's a guy in a tavern that wants to hire you. From there, the players are responsible also for creating the game, right? They tell the GM what they're going to do, and then the GM bounces. It goes back and forth after that. right? And so... GMs don't have to have every single thing planned out. And if they do, you may not be able to use it or you may have to move it around to be able to use it somewhere else. Right. And then um, I think for groups that want to play, one the GM doesn't have to be the person who sets everything up, right? We're going to play on this day and this... (laughs) Everybody in the group is responsible. You're all adults or almost adults, so everybody needs to help with this. Well... (laughs) Which is true because, like, now that the boys are 19, then when they want to play Shadowrun, they will, amongst each other, say, okay, let's tell 
Saul that we want to play and uh, on this day, right? And then they'll get their parents and say, come on, let's go. Well, that's happened once or twice, I think, with Augustine. At least but, twice. But, but Augustine also, like, forgets. Because like he's kind of lazy in a certain sense, not lazy, lazy, because he does what a whatever, teenager because he does what he wants to do, right? And but what happens is is that oh he's kind of used to me organizing everything, and in my groups, except for the Stanford group, I'm the one that like calls everybody. Hey, are you free? Blah blah blah. And I told Augustine, hey, do you, if you want to play one, I'm the GM, so you got to tell me in advance what you want that you want to play the day before, right? And so I can set something up in my head as to what you guys are going to do or what, what kind of a adventure I want to run. And two, it takes time to get everybody organized and giving them one day a, a notice is, is it is enough time for my friends. Cause like they're really enthusiastic about playing shadow run, but other people don't have that kind of luxury. Right. And cause they're really super like, I even apologize. I'm sorry about, about only giving you one day notice yesterday and Augustine just mentioned it and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, no problem. It's not a big deal because they're super jazzed about playing Shadowrun. And I can understand that. Like me, if I was super jazzed about something and somebody said last minute, hey, we're going to have, uh, we're going to run something, right, um, tomorrow at my place. I go, yeah, okay, I'll be there, right? Usually, I mean, I'm not going to, nobody said that lately. So by the way, <laughs> <laughs> but uh it you know i would probably if it was something that i was really excited about playing of course i would i would i would say yes and it wouldn't be a problem i'm like you know i would be like a little kid again in that sense but other people have responsibilities right but the the point that i was making is, is it's not necessarily the the gm right. or dm's role they don't have to be the the host. The herders yes. of everybody to get them all to, to say that they'll play on a certain day. And logistics is a big problem sometimes with your groups yes. because um, you have to figure out the date that everybody can meet and all that kind of stuff and where it's going to be. So everybody should take a responsibility in that. Well, right? like the Stanford group, right? One went to South Korea, another one was over the Arctic, and then one skiing, and poor Morgan's by himself playing all kinds of other different games that I don't get to play in. And and we haven't met for a while, but but we meet when we can, and that's the part of the organizing. But in that case, the organizing is just not l left to one person. No. We all are kind of responsible. And we all kind of email each other going, hey, this is the dates we can play or I can play. Does anybody else have to throw out any dates? And I think that works well instead of like having one person decide, you know, this is the day I can run. Are you guys going to come over? And I, I also think that the fact that you're in a group, say you have a group of five or six people, you're going to, I think it would be more fun for you as a group for to run it for yourselves, right? Learn as you go, watch things, figure it out. Maybe go and play games at a, at a game store to see what other people are doing. But I think that you're, you as a group are going to have a lot more fun because it's all your friends. You're not going to, you're not having someone you don't know run the game for you. Right. Yeah. Even though I do enjoy going to conventions and I love playing in games with different GMs, I do still love playing at home with my family and my friends. And if we, you know, we had a certain schedule like every other week, that's probably the best type of game for me. To both play in and DM because it's like people get excited about the next game and people, they, they look forward to it. So I think 
as the little kid in me, I also look forward to either playing or GM every other week. I remember when I was a kid, uh, I had a calendar, and it and on that calendar, I put like for months and months every every other Saturday was D and D. And I remember Felipe looking at the calendar, going, "Why did you put it on the calendar?" I go, "Cause it's neat." You know, I was excited about it, and I think uh, that's 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 what. Uh, playing role-playing games is like for me is I get really excited about playing that I think the home game is best. And I think you're right. The best thing to do is for these groups that, that never played before, maybe played once or twice somewhere, then they figure it out, hey, okay, we know how it kind of works. Just one of them has to bite the bullet and, and run the game. And all you really need to do is, is read the rules, right? Figure out. Right. And you don't have to know all the rules. I mean, you guys can look up stuff. Everybody has an opinion on the rules. I mean, <laughs> especially D&D 5th Edition. You can go anywhere and people will tell you what they think the rules mean, right? Right. But you can also adjust them to fit your group and that kind of thing. And maybe when you're new, you don't want to do that, but you'll figure it out as you go. Yeah, it's definitely easy to figure it out. We did. And we had (laughs) AD&D. I didn't play (laughs) AD&D. So there you go. Good luck. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolene. You have a good day.